please welcome Josh and Ann Angel. And Jack and Will. Well, I'll take them to the nursery after we do uh, this. Yeah, I'm, it's too bad you didn't see more pictures. We um, are, Josh is the son of Jesus and Angelica, who have been missionaries supported by this church for a long time. He used to come here as a kid, so he might share some memories. And we're so grateful for that. <clears throat> um, as it said in the video, we are... Um, working on uh, a Bible school because Jesus uh, has a passion to see the Latin American church become as strong in organization and in sending missionaries as the, as the U.S. church. He is, was born in Mexico. Angelica was born in California. And when he came to California, he was so impacted by the church's heart to send out. And he wants to see the Mexican church and the Latin American church in general grow into maturity like that. So our, our, our uh, vision is to have that our students would have burning hearts that are connected with God, intimate with the Holy Spirit, and focused on one thing, sharpen minds, not led astray by the deceptive teachings of the world, but trained to think about what, what the Bible has to say, and able hands, Trained with skills. A tutu is a guitar. He's very excited about guitars, so he sees one back there. Um, able hands. So we want our um, everyone that goes to our school to have not just theological training, but practical skills. So wherever they go, whether it's in Mexico, in Latin America, or to the mission field, they'll have skills that they can use out there. And so we uh, joined the team three years ago, and Josh's brother Jonathan and his family joined two and a half years ago. And then um, Josh's mom passed away. And so now it's Jesus and our two families and Jesus's uh, adopted daughter, who's now seven. She was born his niece, but was a bad situation. So he has custody now and she's a sweetheart. And as soon as she gets her official papers, he will be traveling around and hopefully come and visit you as well. Um, so we all live there on the property and work together and it's um, such a blessing and it's a blessing to visit you, and thank you so much for your support. All right, I'm going to take these guys to the nursery. Thank you. There you go. Oh, thank you. <laughs> my sister-in-law just got married a few days ago. My advice was don't have twins. There's a reason why they only come one at a time. God knows. <clears throat> um, let's just pray for an extra anointing today. God, I give you thanks for the opportunity to be here and share um, on what you do, Lord. I just pray for the power of your Holy Spirit today, Lord, that we would feel what you want us to feel, hear what you want us to hear, Lord, that we may go out and see what you wish for us to see, Lord, and speak and act how you would have us speak and act. In your precious name, God. Amen. Amen. Um, <laughs> I just found out a few minutes ago I was actually expected to share the message. So, um, <laughs> and as a pastor's son, that's, that's nothing new. I think the first time I was given that surprise was when I was 14 years old. My dad's like, well, you're preaching today. 
I think I'm still mad at him for that. I don't know. <laughs> Last time I was at this church, I was kind of running the figures, and that must have been, I don't know, anywhere from like 21 to maybe 25 years ago we came and visited this church. And um, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was still quite the farming community then. I remember a brother stood up. He was sitting somewhere over there. Big old belt buckle and skinny, tall, lanky guy. And it stands up and to the point, to the point. That farmer was to the point. He was just like, I like prayer for rain. And then he's like, <laughs> just struck me so wide. I'd never heard a prayer like this before. Uh, uh, two inches and like three sixteenths or four sixteenths or something. <laughs> I remember thinking to myself, is that in the Bible? <laughs> I've never heard a prayer, you know, quite like that. Maybe it's in centimeters somewhere and I missed it. <laughs> um, but that's interesting. You know, my parents, you guys have supported my parents' ministry. Um, and through that, you've supported also in, in different ways the ministry that God has called me into. And I find it so it's symbolic, too, that now it's, I mean, we're seeing three generations, and now my sons come here and, and visit you guys, though they might not remember this, except for the tutu. Um, but isn't that beautiful, just how God works through the ages? It's all one story, and you're, we're all, we're all a part of it. Um, as I was asking God what he wanted me to share, there was, there was actually just two things that came up. That's uh, two of the things that I've learned uh, probably in the last five years uh, working as a missionary. You see, my background is I never wanted to be a missionary. I, I was raised throughout Central America, Honduras. It was the 80s. There was war going on there. Um, it, it's an extreme contrast to life is what we have here um, in the States. I mean, I remember the first time I saw a kid get shot. Um, I remember hiking through the night with the lights off through the mountains. And you, I didn't dawn on me, but you could hear these gunshots and explosions at a distance. I never put two and two together like, why are we, why don't we use the flashlights to like see where we're going at night, you know? There's no trails, no nothing. We were hiking through these hills just so we could go preach or help officiate a wedding in some town that took like eight hours just to hike there. Um, so being raised in this huge environment where, I mean, you, pastors' meetings oftentimes consisted of late night, sitting around the table, and you can hear him talking about how some families were kidnapped, killed, raped, or some were even saved, and angels showed up. Um, and you, you see this contrast of, like, conflict and God doing stuff, and sometimes God allowing things, or seemingly God not doing anything. Um, and then I had a huge shock when I came to the States, and it was such a different, a different perspective. Back then, Christianity was more like, you know, it's, it's a private thing. You, you keep your faith to yourself. You don't really share it at work. You don't share it with anybody. It just maintains this sense of intimacy. And I remember just that shock when I came back to live in the States was so big to me. Um, I don't know. I guess I was just mad at a lot of things. Uh, so I want to do something totally different, and God, through a huge series of events, 
miraculously, I'd say, made it clear to me that he wanted me to also, and literally this is what he told me, pick up my father's mantle of ministry and carry on the work to do the one thing that I always swore to myself I would never do. Um, so I told God, all right, God, I'll do it. I'll do it just, I'll do it under one condition. And I knew he'd meet this condition. I just, I didn't feel like I wanted to do it. So I said, I'll do it if you change my heart. Um, and he was like, all right, I'll change it as we go. And it's been interesting how God, God has shown me that. You know, we, we, we look at this verse um, that God will grant you the desires of your heart. You know what that means to me now? <clears throat> what I've come to see it mean is that oftentimes we want God to give us the desires of our heart. When in reality, God wants to do something better. He wants to show you the real desires of your heart, the ones that actually fulfill, the ones that meet the needs for those urges and passions that you have that sometimes you gratify in the wrong way. Because we all know that sin is oftentimes a legitimate need or desire met in an illegitimate way. But God wants to give you, actually, and grant you those desires. It's just sometimes having the patience or the wisdom to know, you know what, somebody knows better than I do what's good for me. And uh, so I, I decided, okay, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to follow my dad's um, ministry. And God started changing and working in my life and giving me desires that I didn't know I had. And then I realized these desires actually fulfilled me when I was put under God's hand. It is a, a, a fearful and awesome thing to be in the hands of a living God because he will do awesome things in your life. And he will show you who you are that you didn't know you were. Sometimes we let our own, um, own opinions or ideas blind us from the realities of what God has given us to be, of the identity that God has placed in us. We build up these ideas and these dreams that totally blind us from who we really are. That's why it's so important, I think, to let go of that and let God show you who you are, grant you the desires of your heart, not by giving you what you wish, but by showing you what you really wish. Um. So, you know, I got ready. I went to school. I did all the things that dad wanted me to do and that I promised myself I would never do. I even became a pastor and ordained. And somehow I ended up helping at different churches as a youth pastor. And I didn't get fired for beating up their teenagers and stuff. And <clears throat> I was like, all right, God, apparently you, you do want me working here. Um, and... Uh, so we get ready, and you know, throughout this whole time, as a missionary's kid, I remember one person asked me once, actually, when I got married, just a few days before, they were like, you know, what's the biggest miracle you've ever seen as a missionary? And I don't think we get this, but the biggest miracle you'll ever have in your life isn't that you were raised from the dead. 
Um, it's actually not even the fact that you can be born again in Christ, in my opinion. This is my theology at this point. My mom just died a few years ago from cancer. She had been healed before from her eyesight. It was pretty bad. We'd seen people that were dead, proper dead, raised to live again. And sometimes people excuse that by saying, oh, well, maybe they thought they were dead, but they really weren't. No. I mean, people that had been dead for eight hours after rolling two miles down a hill with their lungs crushed and a steering wheel through their chest, both legs broken, heart isn't even beating anymore, and they're swollen up. And their blood has already separated from water inside them. And God bring them back to life, kind of dead. Blind, people that were quadriplegic. I prayed this one time for this one person that was quadriplegic. And God healed him right in front of me. And I didn't even have the faith for that guy to be healed. I was like, well, I'm just going to do the Christian thing and just like the hands and dear God, if it is your will. <laughs> and, the, and the guy gets up. I was like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah, miracles do happen. Praise Jesus. Um, the greatest miracle that I've ever seen hasn't been one of those. It's actually the fact that you can have intimacy with God himself. Because no miracle matters unless you care enough to have that intimate relationship with God. See, what makes a marriage great isn't the fact that you and or your spouse agree to certain terms. What makes a marriage great is that you and your spouse pursue each other constantly. It isn't an agreement. It's this constant pursuing. And when you could break your, 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 your thought of thinking, oh, if God just does this miracle, if God just does this, blesses me with wealth, blesses me with health, blesses me with a good, happy family or environment, you're missing the point. Because there is such a thing as happy, happiness and joy in the midst of misery. So when my mom passed away, it was, it was harsh. Because for years, we'd many times shared all the miracles that God had done in our life and didn't share all the tragedies that we'd seen happen. You know, the times that we knew of, of pastors or missionaries, was, like I just told you, families were raped in front of them, and then they were killed. Or they actually literally, some of them, I know this one guy and I, I love him. He's such a great guy. He went through such a traumatic events in his life. He, he, he literally, he went crazy. And he was just living on the streets, last I heard. And uh, my father and I wanted to go find him. He's, he's, I don't know if he's still alive. But just, just things where you ask yourself, you know, where is God? At the end of the day, it's the best place you can ever find God is in here, in here. And the rest is just, is just this little part of life. Because with Christ, this will be the only hell we'll ever know. Without him, this will be the only heaven you'll ever have. And that's the same thing for the people out there in the world that don't know him, that don't have intimacy with him. 
I mean, you can get a miracle from God and turn your back on Him. It happened time and time again. All those people He healed, many of them were crying crucified, I'm sure. Or maybe even worse, didn't say a thing to defend Him. When they knew they were flat out lying against Him. The greatest miracle you'll ever have is intimacy with God. And that is something... That is, that's, that's a guarantee. All you have to do is just pursue that. God will do the other half. It's not like, ooh, I kind of like this person. Let's see if they're as interested in me. No, 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 no. God gave everything to have that intimate relationship with you. And he doesn't care to just keep it intimate. Kind of like a marriage. You get married, and yeah, you have that intimacy. You have that emotional connection and intellectual inside jokes here and there and the whole physical and everything. But if it just stays hidden, intimate, that's what most people know is an affair. When it goes public, that's what most people know is marriage. God's intimacy with you is intended to go public. Starts from the deepest point. And, and goes as far as your reputation will go. How much time do I have, Pastor? <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> I don't know you had so many, uh, such Hispanic influence in this church. <laughs> Actually, if you want, you can go ahead and just, just play the, the video without the sound so people can see the pictures. I don't mind. I have ADD. I can, I can hack it. God blessed me with uh, twins, and he actually told us beforehand, going to have uh, two. Uh, had I known what that was going to be like, I would have said, God, no, please. Uh, I thought I had done some hardcore things before in my life. Um, I, I know it sounds like an exaggeration, but let me tell you guys, you young bucks, you ain't nothing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then my son, Will, uh, just uh, a few six, seven months ago, started having seizures. And it was quite a shocker. We didn't know what was going on. It was really scary. Turns out he's missing most of his brain. In life, God will do things for you. And one of the first things God, the Satan will do to try to steal you of the fullness of that miracle is try to belittle that by either explaining it away or naming it something other than God's miracle. And my son Will was a good example of that, is a current example of that. He's missing a lot of his frontal cortex, which means he shouldn't really be able to regulate emotion all that well. He's missing the part that um, stores long-term and short-term memory, so he shouldn't have memory. He's missing a decent part of his cerebellum. This is his brain. See how much void there is and how large these wrinkles are? They should be tighter and more bundled up together. Um, there's many parts of his when you look at it from different sections that are missing. He's missing the part that connects the left from the right part of his brain. It's not there. Um, and the doctor told us, you know, this scan tells us of a child that, that, that is intubated, that has no muscle control, that has no memory, um, and will probably be a, very likely a vegetable for the rest of his life. And you guys just saw my son. He is none of those. 
And the doctor said, you know, we don't know really what's happening. He might, you know, if you guys keep doing what you're doing, stimulating him as you're doing, he's like, he'll probably lead a, a normal life. We don't know how to explain it. We just call it neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity, that's a nice way of naming God's miracle. We don't know what happens. We don't know how it happens, but we're going to give it this fancy Latin term. Guys, that's God's miracle, that he can do what he does. He remembers things. You guys saw him. He can grab a bottle. He can put. He knows who mom is. He recognizes dad and his grandpas, and, and that, that kid's just a miracle. And it's kind of scary at times because we're not, I wasn't sure if he'd be able to walk or crawl or flip over or so many things, and it's every little thing now in his life. I'm, I'm just realizing, wow, that's a miracle because we compare him with Jack, and Jack's doing so good. He's like, Almost like start, you know, he's putting words together too, too, and and your miracles. God has given each and every one of us different miracles outside of intimacy. Don't explain those away. Learn to call a miracle what it is. God's hand in your life. So now, will we call him? Uh, we call him God's will, because we're just having to learn to trust in God that the next step is. Uh, it's going to be a miracle whether he can do it or not. And looking at that brain, I studied pre-medicine in college. I ended up, you know, being a medic and working for doctors and all this other stuff. He shouldn't be doing what he's doing. <laughs> There's things happening in your life that are likely not supposed to be happening. But God has him there to remind you of his constant pull for intimacy. He wants to be that close to you. He wants to mean that much to you. One of the favorite verses uh, lately that I've just been gleaning a ton from is John, John 17. Um, I think it's three or four. Three. John 17, three. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. We think that, and I personally think it's kind of boring when we talk about heaven and everybody like doing this huge worship service and just like, I don't know about you guys, like maybe I'm just not that spiritual. I don't know. <laughs> I just find that to be boring. I could do that for maybe 15, 20. If it's a very charismatic church, I could tolerate for maybe 40 minutes. But past that mark, I'm... I start turning Baptist. I'm like, hey, guys, we either need to switch to hymns because I can't sing the same one verse 50 times in one song, or we need to get to the preaching because my mind needs to engage on something, you know? <laughs> oh, that hit some nerves over there. Um, <laughs> so when I think of heaven, I'm, I'm the kind of guy that's like, well, you know what? I'd, li I'd like to, like, I don't know, play some rugby against the angels. God will heal us, you know, break a few bones or noses. We'll be fine. You know, go diving, go play with the sharks, go wrestle the alligators or the lions or outrun the rhino. Um, when I think of heaven, I think of, well, let's, let's do all these fun things. <laughs> and I like fun things, but they're not as fun unless you have somebody else there with you to enjoy them. You know what I mean? In my world, that kind of looks like either somebody to laugh at you or somebody to laugh at. 
You ever had that? You have a close friend that you're like, man, you're kind of boring in every aspect of your life, but sometimes you do things that just crack us all up. My brother-in-law is that way. He's just a guy that's, <laughs> something bad, funny bad's going to happen, you know it's going to be to him. So you're just kind of waiting to watch when he's going to do something. <laughs> oh, I love that guy, and I think that's why my sister married him. She just, just needed a different kind of funny in her life. Again, it's about intimacy with God. I think heaven will just be a good old time of stories, worship, you know, all sorts of adventures, and just really getting to share that with God and with our fellow brethren throughout. Um, and the second thing I want to share, and God's really been hitting hard on this with me lately, um, is the fact that we are... Um, we're a royal priesthood. I'd heard that many times in my life. But not till recently did that actually start ringing a bell differently. 1 Peter 2.9 talks about that. Hebrews 10.12, you know, that we're set apart through the offering of Jesus Christ forever into a royal priesthood. Um. And being raised on the mission field, being raised as a pastor's kid, as a missionary's kid, you always think of like, well, these are, these are the things that a missionary or a pastor does, and, you know, this is how it goes. And in the Old Testament, you had this line of priests that they couldn't, they couldn't uh, inherit a part of the, the land that the rest of the Jews did because they were just supposed to serve God. They weren't allowed to go to war. They weren't allowed to mourn their own families. They were allowed to worship God in a way that nobody else was. And they could go into the Holy of Holies. Not even the king could go into there. And the king could do things that nobody else could do. Definitely not the priest. He could go to war. He could lead his people. He can do, set up different kind of commerce and business transactions throughout his culture to affect them. And these two offices, though differently, serve the same purpose in leading the people of God in a seemingly secular slash holy way. But you guys know what? That's all done for with Christ. We're under a new priesthood, a royal priesthood, under, under, under the lineage of Melchizedek himself, a king and a priest. And when you look at David's life, you realize it really did start there, as imperfect as David was. In many ways, David did things much worse than Saul did. But you know what was the key factor with David and Saul? And, and all the other kings that never amounted to as much as David, and many of them didn't do as much evil as David did, but God still forgave him. You know why? Intimacy. David was so close to God. Every single time he was called out on what he did, his first prayer was almost always, God, don't. Take your Holy Spirit from me. Please don't leave me. I know I messed up. Please don't leave me. I'll take whatever punishment you want me to serve, but just don't leave me. Intimacy. Again. And God's been telling me, you know, you're trying to start this school, this vision that I have placed, and you have the right idea, but some of the wrong concepts. 
And we're trying to raise missionaries who want to teach tent-making skills like welding, electrician, carpentry, construction, other different stuff I did, fish farming and other stuff in the past as well, to help missionaries abroad. Because God is actually moving a lot of Hispanic people into Muslim Arab countries. And um, so we're trying to train these missionaries that go out there. And God's like, you know what? I don't just want you to help train these guys. I want you to train my royal priests, my kingly priests. And as I looked deeper into that, I realized God was, God was kind of like, in a nice way, rebuking me. Stop thinking that you can either be a priest or function as a king. There is no secular in my world, nor has there ever been. It is all holy. And this is how that God's been showing me that. You're not just, the school that we're, we're starting that God's passed on is not just supposed to train the missionaries that are going out to the field, but the very servants that are sending out. God is raising the Hispanic people, and I, and I really appreciate what God has done through you and through your lineage of sending people out. But now he is preparing another nation that will also raise up and mature to the point where they start sending missionaries out to the world. And it's not just the missionaries that are sending or going or doing the work, but it's also the men and women back at home serving as royalty, sending those, working in their businesses, doing their businesses as unto the Lord. Sometimes we preach, and I hear it so many times, you know, it's like, you know, you're not supposed to love your hobbies or your work or anything, you know. You should, it, we almost preach it, and I'm not saying anything that you guys, I, I don't know what it's like here, and please don't get me the wrong way, but oftentimes as pastors, we give this impression that you're either doing secular work or you're in church praying or doing something holy. Man, if you ain't doing something holy at work, you're doing it all wrong. The same goes for us pastors. We could be up here preaching, teaching, praising God, and totally doing it in the wrong attitude. And God's just impressed upon me. You're royals. Look at yourself as that way. If you're royalty from an early age, from an early age on, you're taught that your bloodline is worthy of respect, that your bloodline carries a responsibility with it. That your bloodline demands that everywhere you walk, you walk as if you own the place. Because you do. It is part of your birthright. And what God's been telling me is, show my people that the land they walk in is their birthright. We are supposed to be outnumbered. Let's stop crying about, oh, the enemy did this, did that. God's like, nope, I sent you as sheep among wolves. You're supposed to be outnumbered. You're, you're, we're actually the invading force, guys. I know for some people that sounds scary, but for someone like me, that's kind of fun because that means adventure. And adventure always sounds so much more fun in a story than when you're living it. When you're living it, it doesn't sound like adventure. It actually feels like stress. <laughs> but after a while, you keep following God. You keep hanging in there. And you become the right kind of crazy where you actually kind of enjoy it. <laughs> you know? And then here's the worst part. God's like, oh, wow, he's having fun. Let's up it a little bit more. Let's just make this a bit more. 
let's just keep pushing this guy, this girl, more and more. <laughs> and I think he laughs when he does that. <laughs> I like my people crazy. <laughs> Those are the two biggest things that I think God's been sharing with me lately. And uh, the greatest miracle you'll ever have is intimacy with God. It will pour into everything else. It will pour into your marriage. It will pour into your kids, your cousins, your coworkers. Even the people you don't like pours into them in such a way where they don't even know you don't like them. <laughs> They're like, oh, wow, I, yeah, I thought you always thought I was cool. <laughs> Praise God for that. <laughs> Take that as a miracle. And the fact that you are all royal priesthoods, whether you're a farmer you have an influence in your community. You owe an allegiance to your father and your king. As a noble man or woman in a nobility or in a family or any kind of family with a large communal power um, contribution, there's a certain amount of pride that you have to upkeep, uphold, and a certain set of principles that you have to maintain to do well by your, your family's heritage and or their interests, your king's interests, your father's interests. Walk with the pride of knowing you actually do have the truth, the truth that'll stay here forever. Heaven and earth shall pass, but not this. Herein is our kingdom. And we can share it. We can love other people through it. And even more, we can expand our, our kingdom through bringing them in to also share in our inheritance, in our bloodline, in our legacy that we have through Christ. So view everything you do as holy. Maintain the focus of intimacy above all, not works, not this, not that, not trying to prove that you're a Christian. Just maintain that intimacy. That's all you need. Anybody here married long enough knows that when you know someone really well, you know when you're doing wrong. You get that look that nobody else saw, but you felt it. You didn't even see it, but you already felt it. Or you know how to please that person. You know exactly what they like. You know, I, I need brownie points. I'm going to wash the dishes, change the diapers, and I don't know, they clean the table or something, you know. <laughs> I need to get back on our good side. <laughs> once, you, once you start living in that intimacy with Christ, everything else gets both simpler and clearer. And what you're supposed to do, what you're not supposed to do, and how to go about doing it. So... Um, yeah, I want to pass the, the microphone to the pastor and encourage you guys, intimacy and royalty. Seek those two things. Uh, every time we've had a missionary come, uh, every time we've had a missionary come, they've, they've, it's, it's kind of funny, they've always just shared the message. And so... When they came, they said, well, how long do you want us to share? And I said, oh, 30 minutes, 30, 45 minutes. And they go, oh. So, Josh, thank you for sharing the message this morning. <laughs>
Uh, hey, we've talked about this before. We want to have intimacy with God in every area of our lives. Amen? Amen.